So we can do this episode. I think the Leo draft is a good way to like limit this to one episode, keep some focus. And then we do matrix later on this week that we drop like on Thursday. Okay. No, I like that uh, matrix. I actually, I was watching last night and I was like an hour into it and I was like, God damn it. Like they messed this up. They messed it up so bad. And I watched another 24 minutes of it and it got, it got a little better. And I was just like, this isn't worth staying up past 1am for. No, so I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So I stopped watching. I got another hour to go, but I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, they messed it up. I, I don't know. Maybe the next hour we'll explain more. But I'm severely disappointed. Okay, <clears throat> ready? Yeah, yeah, ready. This is the drive-in podcast. Take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to the 69th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the Express Checkup with yours truly, Dr. Rowe. Yes, this segment is back. We have our trailer roundup for this week featuring Robert Eggers' upcoming release, The Northman. Then we have our review of Adam McKay's recent release, Don't Look Up, not to mention our top billing draft of the greatest Leonardo DiCaprio rolls. DiCaprio rolls. So use the bathroom now. Grab that popcorn and enjoy the 69th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. So episode 69 is here. I'm joined by Ricky Flicks. Ricky Flicks, refrain from the, uh, the obvious jokes. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. What did Santa bring you this holiday season? Santa did well. Santa did well this year. Dr. Rowe, good to be back with you during this holiday season. I actually got a great gift I got from Santa. I got a 007 encyclopedia. Yes, James Bond himself or himself. Yes. So that was probably the best thing I got from Santa. From you, though, I got a great gift, though, Dr. Rowe. And it's related Mm. to next week's review of Lecturish Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson. I got a little Paul Thomas Anderson Um like recap of a bunch of his movies. So like you got, you got Phantom Thread, you got There Will Be Blood, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, just all overviews of his work and forward by the Safdie brothers. Uh, Adam Naiman uh, uh, wrote the book. Very excited to dive into that. Yes, Adam Naiman, a little bit of a geek, but I like, I like what he, usually he's a great critic. So I'm interested to see what he has to say about the path of Paul Thomas Anderson over the past 30 years. This is going to be an interesting read, especially before Licorice Pizza. Yeah, so I got you that book, Ricky Flicks, like uh, I want to say right after Thanksgiving. I wanted to give you some nerd film book just because I know I love that stuff. And I'm about to go into the gifts that you got me and what Santa brought me this year. But uh, that book, I love the behind the scenes with PTA, the actors he was working with. And as you go through like the timeline of his movies, Right. Seeing how they progressed. And then uh, it's a really great deep dive. And Adam Naiman is a like, he is the ultimate film nerd. Like if you ever listen mm-hmm. to him speak on The Ringer, like he is he knows more about movies than like I, I would guess any other podcaster or author. I think I believe he's also a um, professor when it comes yes. to um, films. So he 
is an expert beyond an expert. And so I, I, I made sure that I took a glimpse at that before I wrapped that up for you, Ricky Flex. I had to. Uh, only thing is, Amazon, they got to work on their packaging. I know we have uh, the supply chain <laughs> issue going on in the U.S. right now, but I'm handing Ricky Flex a dinged up Paul Thomas Anderson Masterworks book, and that's just unacceptable. It's a beautiful cover. I, I don't have it with me, so I can't show it, but it's a beautiful cover. And the dinged up, I didn't even notice until Dr. Rowe mentioned it. And then now I can't not look at it. It's like one of those classic things. Yeah, you're self-conscious about it. It's the only thing you think of when you look at it. But I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to forget about it in due time. And speaking of books, movie books, like I love getting like nerdy movie stuff just so I can expand my knowledge on movies to make sure I know what I'm talking about on this podcast. But also because we love movies. I actually got a gift uh, from PKO. Um, uh a former guest on the pod who was on the best rom-coms draft. That was a mega draft. We had four people for that mega. one. But she got me the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the first book written by Quentin Tarantino. It's a deluxe edition, nice hardcover, beautiful. I was thinking about getting like the $8 one a few months back when Tarantino was making the rounds on these different podcasts, talking about the book, promoting the book. But she got me the nice version. So shout out PKO. I'm going to dive into that probably right after we record this pod. I also got a few things from Ricky Flicks. Uh, as I guess most of our listeners know and any newcomers they're about to know, uh, I love movie posters and I love putting them around my house. Ricky Flicks got me a collection of Quentin Tarantino movie posters ranging from The Hateful Eight, which is one of low-key favorite Tarantino movies, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and Django Unchained, and then also happened to throw in a Dark Knight Rises poster in there as well. I don't know if that was a three-for-one deal or anything like that, but uh, I love the Dark Knight Rises. It just didn't fit the collection there. Yeah, so you mentioned before that you wanted a Tarantino, but you also mentioned Nolan, and you've got Dunkirk already. I thought you had the Dark Knight already. So I was just going to say, you know what? Let's just build up his Tarantino and Nolan collections up. And I favored Tarantino a little bit because those posters, I don't know. I get, I think, I think they were cooler. So I was just like, oh, I'll build that up, but also get the Batman trilogy down from Nolan. But you didn't even have the Dark Knight. So it was a mess up on my end anyways. So now no, it just looks weird. No, no it's, it's, it's going to be fine. So I'll, I'll collect the Batman Begins and the Dark Knight over the next Great few months. And I'll make sure I, I'm going to have a Tarantino room. Just all these different posters. I got a couple books. It'll be great. Uh, and I'll make sure to show that off to the pod in the future as we build our studio. Uh, I do want to bring. Oh, so the only Batman poster I do have is one that I've never taken out of the seal. And that is a Batman versus Superman poster I received back in the winter of 2015. It's, I still own it, but I refuse. I, I, it came out 2016. So it came out, I think, I believe it was March or April. I had the poster and I was like, I'm, I'm just anticipating this movie's going to be good. I'm anticipating it's going to be an absolute banger from Snyder. Little did I know a few months later, it was going to be an absolute atrocity and one of the, one of the most uh, disdained and uh, disgraceful movies in the history of comic book movies at <laughs> the time. It's pretty good. And, you know, it, 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 I would say it's, uh, it's gotten some better overall reception over the uh the years that have gone by and there's more of a, an acceptance of what Snyder was doing with DC, but I made sure I never put it up because I can't have a Batman versus Superman poster alongside the likes of Rocky Dunkirk, 
Tarantino movies that are just hanging everywhere. So, uh, yeah, so this was an improvement. Thank you for that, Ricky Flux. Yeah, I don't think Batman vs. Superman's on that level. Not quite yet here on the classic scale. Yeah, we, we needed to like pass like maybe another 40 years and it'll be accepted just like how Citizen Kane wasn't accepted when it first came out. People like basically turned it away. So maybe we just need 40 more years to pass. And then people were like, oh, my maybe. God, Batman vs. Superman is the greatest superhero movie of all time. Yeah, I don't um, know about that, Chief. What else did I get? Did I get anything else major? Not really. That I think that's what, what really uh, I got in terms of movie collection. Uh, I did want to bring up a quote here, Ricky Flix, before we get into the checkup and trailer roundup. We have the next iteration, the next battle of the war on between Martin Scorsese and superhero movies. And we have Tom Holland, right, leading the fray with this next quote. He says, quote, you can ask Martin Scorsese, would you want to make a Marvel movie? But he doesn't know what it's like because he's never made one. I've made Marvel movies and I've also made movies that have been the Oscars conversation. The only difference is one is much more expensive than the other. Ricky Flix, which side are you taking after this recent battle between Scorsese and superheroes? Scorsese is one of the best filmmakers, if not the best filmmaker of all time. And he's absolutely correct. Tom Holland, you do not know. You do not know. Your closest thing to an Oscar contender would be Cherry or the Devil all the time, which both weren't even close. And you were not the reason. You were, if anything, the opposite of the reason that it would be even in the conversation. So he does not know. Now, I'm not saying he'll never know, but I'm guessing Uncharted is not going to be one of those movies that he'll find that out with Marky Mark over there. So I think he just needs to take a step back and just reevaluate himself before he, he mentions my boy Marty again in the same sentence as a superhero movie or himself, because he does not know it's, it's disrespectful. I think it is disrespectful too, because he's not putting himself in the shoes of a filmmaker. Like he's only starred in these movies. Like what has he done in terms of producing, directing, putting in the thought that's not coming from a comic book or I, I just don't think that he has the right to say this. And I think he's riding off the high of Spider-Man No Way Home. And I know we're going to get to the checkup. There's going to, there's, there's a push from Sony and Disney to have No Way Home be nominated uh, for a few Oscars. Crazy. It's being put under for their consideration. They're putting a whole push for this upcoming movie using the budget. I mean, using the uh, profits from No Way Home, which mm -hmm. there are a plenty. I just don't think, he has the right just based off his resume. It's just like he, he, he knows he's going to have the backing of the MCU fan base, of the Disney fan base, superheroes in general, because they are in they are in the demand right now. But I don't think Scorsese has given up on this battle, and I think Tom Holland kind of looks like a fool by these statements. Yeah, and I think that, if anything, he's proven wrong with Spider-Man No Way Home because that was a lot of fan service, and you have a collaborator a former collaborator with Martin Scorsese with Andrew Garfield uh, as well, not coming out, but he would be the one that should come out as a Spider-Man and also someone that uh, has worked with Scorsese and particularly one of Scorsese's more slow, slower burns and all acting performances. He would be the one that if he said this, then I would go, hmm, now we, now we have something to talk about here. But no, it's Tom Holland Spider-Man. That's not that's not right. And it seems like he's just saying this because of what you said. He has the backing of Disney. He has like all these machine guns of fans behind him, ready to just power over with memes of cinema with Scorsese uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And it's just not right. And it's just disrespectful. 
Yeah. If Garfield said it, that's a great point. If Garfield said it, I would respect it a lot more because he's been through the process. He's he's a twice two time Oscar nominated actor. About to be three times, probably. About to be three times for Tick Tick Boom. So it's like he has the I guess the firepower to back up his comments. He doesn't need a whole fan base behind him. People just trust the word of Andrew Garfield. Mm. Tom Holland doesn't have that where he can stand out on his own against the Martin Scorsese make those exactly. comments. No, and exactly. I feel and I feel like Scorsese, if Garfield said it, Scorsese, of course, Scorsese might respond because he's worked with him before. And I feel like Holland, he would just not take the time of day. I just feel like Garfield would even say that. Like he would take Scorsese's yeah. side anyway, so it oh, wouldn't yeah. matter. I'm just saying, like, what if he did say this? I feel like he would even, he would just have like the respect to say, hey, Marty, I said this the other day. And Marty would be like, all right, cool. I'm not going to respond publicly or something. Like, heads up, bud. You're probably <laughs> yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon promotion tour. You're going to be asked about this in every interview. <laughs> so I think Garfield knows he would never put that out there just because he knows that Scorsese would have to address it time and time again. Oh, wait. Also, just thinking of this. So Garfield, he's due to reunite with Scorsese at some point, right? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, he's on such a high right now. I think he's due. And what's this? what's this podcast going to be about mainly today? Leo. Leo Garfield uniting maybe in a Scorsese movie. That would be pretty awesome. I like that. I like that would that be an idea. interesting thing. Uh, it's going to have to be in a couple of Scorsese movies because he's still got to make the Grateful Dead movies. He's got Killers of the Flower Moon coming uh, out. There's yeah, just, it'll be a while. It's going to be a bit, but you know, Scorsese, he, th- despite his age, it doesn't seem like he's going to halt his, his productions don't. anytime soon. You know, hmm. but the, the train goes on. Uh, with that being said, Ricky Flux, let's get to the checkup and trailer roundup. What do you say? Yes, sir. Let's check the audiences up. Jean-Marc Vallée, director of Dallas Buyers Club, Sharp Objects, and Big Little Lies, has sadly passed away at the age of 58. Rest in peace to a legend. Next up, box office news. Sing 2 was the number two movie at the box office this weekend, uh, beating The Matrix Resurrections and The King's Man. Guess what movie was number one? That would be Spider-Man No Way Home, which has managed to cross the $1 billion marker and it's become the highest grossing film of 2021 in just one week. Next, speaking of Spider-Man, Marvel and Sony are committed to giving Spider-Man No Way Home a full Oscars for your considerations campaign. Some of the film's box office revenue will be used to fund the four-year consideration advertisements as well as targeted screenings, Q&As, interviews, etc. for Academy members. Next, Devin Rattray, known as playing Buzz in Home Alone, has been charged with one count of domestic assault and battery by strangulation after allegedly trying to strangle his girlfriend. Sheesh, Buzz. Woof. Next up, Michael Keaton will return as Batman in HBO Max's Batgirl movie. Ricky Flex, that's all we got for the checkup this week. It's a weak checkup. Weak, very weak checkup. Uh, which headline do you want to start with? Well, I'll first just make the comments about Buzz there. Tough, especially around Christmas time. Terrible. terrible I think that's timing. terrible timing. I think I think that's all that needs to be said, really. He was in uh, the latest Home Alone movie from Disney Plus as well. And I don't know anybody that's, that has watched that yet. It couldn't be me. So, yeah, I think that's all we have to say about that, just to clear that out of the way. But is this finally going to be the time when studios, non-Disney studios, realize okay let's not put a movie that we're relying on in the box office against a disney comic book movie is this Duh. going 
Is this going to finally be like the breaking point, the tipping point where studio execs, Warner Brothers, realize, all right, yep, we're not doing this anymore, a la The Matrix Resurrections here. And yes, HBO Max, I did watch on HBO Max. I did not go see in theaters. I'm not saying I won't, but most likely not after my first watch here on Matrix uh, Resurrections. But I think this might be like the final beating drum saying, all right, they'll own the week or maybe the two weeks. Uh, as in Disney and Marvel, they'll own those two weeks at the box office. Nothing else should come out. I agree. Uh, I have a question because like these box office numbers are fascinating. There's a couple of different dynamics we have to go over. You bring up the Marvel dynamic where it's like, yes, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. I would not be release- releasing a movie at this stage within the first three weeks of Spider-Man No Way Home's opening. If you actually want some box office success. Movies like Nightmare Alley, I get it. You want to make some movie, you have like the star appeal of it, but how much money were you going to make in the first place? And you're very, you're limiting it even more so putting it against Spider-Man No Way Home. Who would have thought that at the beginning, like I would say when Matrix 4 was first announced, Matrix Resurrections, that it would lose out to not only a Marvel movie, but Sing 2, an animated sequel to a Matthew McConaughey ensemble movie. Like, this obviously you're gonna you have to bring in the the dual release um, strategy by HBO Max and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, and I think at this point you got to call it a massive failure, huge failure. It's I a think massive even failure. I think even I think uh, when Dune came out, like we saw that in theaters and we rewatched it on HBO Max, and that made over fifty million in the opening domestic box office weekend. You could People say that, that a smashing success too. You could say that was a failure. Now looking back on it, mm-hmm. this this dual streaming is not working. And I think that you either got to pick a side or do what I don't look up or um, uh, be in the Ricardos did where it comes out December 10th, limited release. It's basically Adam McKay and Sorkin and other directors and filmmakers are like, all right, we still love movie theaters, but those are type of movies that those are streamable movies. You don't have to see in theaters, but if you're going for big box office events, like a matrix, like a Dune, you can't stream them. You can't. And for the amount of money you put into those movies, Doing this dual release is just the dumbest thing. And I think Spider-Man is a clear indication. I know it's a that's a Avengers Endgame type level of movie, an Avatar level. But still, Dune is supposed to be like the top of the top non-comic book. And it only made 50 million. I know during a pandemic as well, you got to throw that in there. But that's just this is a clear failure on the Warner Brothers HBO Max front. In last week, you talked about how Spider-Man No Way Home might have been the most important release in the history of movie theaters amidst this pandemic, amidst this new variant, the Omicron variant, excuse me. You basically, you have Matrix, which is such recognizable IP, right? A beloved franchise by that has been around since the early 2000s and the late 90s. People were excited to have one of the biggest box office stars on a planet with Keanu Reeves starring the in it. The the Kianasant is in full effect and they can't take advantage of it. And like Dune, they like Warner Brothers got to be kicking themselves after seeing these, the $1 billion, $1 billion is made from one movie amidst a pandemic. And like just, uh, and then have a movie go against it with matrix and then only have it like half in theaters, half, uh, excuse me, you're, t- you're basically going half and half with, HBO Max and in like uh, theater box office, like uh, projections and everything like that. It just makes zero sense in my opinion. I, I just, it's, it's kind of frustrating because 
they could have changed this. They like midway through the year, they could have said Dune's coming, right? Especially when Dune was coming out, we had uh, the pandemic kind of subsided for a little bit. Like the numbers were looking good. Cases were no going Omicron down. variant, no yeah. variant of the Omicron. Delta was kind of in uh, not Passing. in the mirror, but it was like it was faint. It was it was a uh, it was a uh, fading. fading. Okay, so it was fading at that point. So it just makes no sense, like how they wouldn't just say, okay, we should just put all our chips in in theaters right now, right? Especially after Dune, we're like, okay, let's just put Matrix in theaters now because we saw the success Dune had. There's just there's no room for flexibility. It was this way or the highway. And mm-hmm. now I understand like directors, like the Wachowskis uh, directors, uh, we have David Chase, right? Who didn't direct uh, Many Saints in Newark, but also displaying how he's upset. This was not his movie. His Sopranos prequel was not in theaters. And obviously, Denny Villeneuve has made his point very, very clear, along with the likes of Christopher Nolan, who we brought up earlier in this podcast. So I don't know. It's just it's just it's just disappointing when you see Keanu Keanu Mm -hmm. Reeves finishes third in the box office in an opening weekend. One of those movies being to sing to. Yeah. And they even like he looks like he has the John Wick look. You can't capitalize on that look. But. I guess my final thoughts here is that if we just compare it to a movie that came out the same weekend as Spider-Man No Way Home as in Nightmare Alley, that's a Fox product. So a la Disney owned and they did. I, 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 I saw a lot of advertising for it, a lot of promo. They did. They threw a lot of money in the promo. They did. I'm not going to back down from that, but they were basically sacrificing and saying this is an Oscar contender. This is like like uh, acting nominations, maybe even a best picture nomination. They just wanted to get it out there in, in this fiscal year. Whereas a Matrix, like that's going to be no Oscars. Maybe visuals. I don't think so. I don't even think it should be nominated for visuals. That's just that's a pre uh, a preview of our Matrix pod coming out later this week. Um, Matrix review. But um, that's a movie where you didn't have to. You didn't have to put it out this week if you're going to do a duel, let alone like you should have done a duel anyways. So I think it was just an absolute disaster on Warner Brothers front, HBO Max front, but hopefully they learn and move on. Yeah, uh, I, I assume 2022 will look a lot different for Warner Brothers and HBO Max. I know, speaking of HBO Max and uh, their upcoming strategy, uh, I would say we got to bring up Michael Keaton returning as Batgirl, as Batman and HBO Max's Batgirl movie. Uh, so this is going to have connections, obviously, to the DCEU. This movie will strictly be on HBO Max. It will not have a theatrical run. Ricky Flex, what do you think about Michael Keaton not only returning for The Flash, but also returning as the Batman in the upcoming Batgirl movie? It's crazy. Like, people are, like, obviously, with Spider-Man, like, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but people are saying, like, there's obviously rumors of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in it, like we've been mentioning all year. Now people want, like, a Batman-type multiverse with Michael Keaton, Pattinson, Yuck. Kilmer, uh, not Kilmer, uh, everybody so it's just like what is going on and now we have a confirmed in batgirl hbo max michael keaton very odd i will say this though i love it this gives me more excitement for batgirl i don't love it as in i love him being in it but i love it for actually like my hopes of batgirl as in i didn't know if i was gonna like it or not but now we got brendan frazier and michael keaton in the in this movie i'm gonna watch it i don't i i hate it I hate this. I hate it so much. This makes this is the worst thing that could have happened to DC. 
to put we already had an older Batman with Affleck approaching like mid 40s. And now we're going a 60 plus year old Batman looking to like people are making the comparison like Willem Dafoe. We just had a 66 year old just have put on an amazing performance in Spider-Man No Way Home. Dude, he is he's in one movie. We're not expecting him to carry the Batman mantle throughout the DCEU. He's not going to you Why? No, I'm not. Oh, yeah. But but he is like he's in the flash. He's going to be in the Batgirl movie. Right. We have connections with uh, J.K. Simmons returning as Commissioner Gordon for the Batgirl movie. Like I almost it's expected that he's going to make beyond these two appearances in the DCEU at this point. So I just don't like pinning my hopes on a DCEU franchise with a 66 year old Batman. I just don't think that makes sense. They got to introduce a Batman beyond ASAP or else I. I, I just don't care anymore about the DCEU. And then with no um, emphasis on Henry Cavill's Superman, I don't know where that direction for the next character is going to take. We know it's going to be a black Superman. And there's a couple projects in the works. One, one is, I don't know if it's going to be a movie or a series. And one's going to be uh, like another one that's potentially in the DCEU. It just seems like, just give me like Pattinson's Batman, put all your focuses on that and just push everything to the side. Cause I don't want to see any more Wonder Woman. I don't want to see any more Aquaman. Like, can you compare what's, like No Way Home just did, there's no way that these DC movies will have anywhere near the box office success or, in my opinion, probably the critical success of these past movies, right, That of, of the MCU. So it's not like I don't agree with you. I agree with you that putting your hopes on a 66-year-old Batman is not, is not the way to go. I agree. I'm talking about from a background movie perspective as a solo movie to draw interest into it. That is what I love. I don't love him being a solidified Batman in the DCEU. But Dr. Rowe, let me just tell you, tell you this. DCEU sucks. It's terrible. Like all the best projects aren't in the DCEU. You got the Robert Pattinson Batman. Michael B. Jordan's Superman project, not in the DCEU. Like, those... Apparently not. It's, it's not confirmed, but apparently not. But those are the most like Wonder Woman. Now, no one like no one's looking forward to that anymore. Aquaman, I'm not looking forward to that. Shazam 2. I like Shazam overrated. Yes, but Black Adam's the only thing maybe in the flash, but the rock, I don't trust the rock being in a good movie. It might just be entertaining. So I just don't have high hopes for the DCEU, but outside projects I do. So I think that you're right. As in from a DCEU perspective, this is not good for them, but it draws more interest to it. It draws more people to watch it. I don't love it, but I love it that for Batgirl specifically. Would you rather have seen Affleck in this role? It would make more sense with J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon. And talking about appeal, like, would you rather have seen? Would it be more appealing if you had Affleck return to this role? Well, I think to. I so I think for the normal viewer, yes, because people. Oh no, sorry, normal viewer, no, because Michael Keaton's I think more beloved right now. Really, I see a lot. I see a lot of divisiveness on Twitter regarding this topic. Where I would say it's half and half. People are welcoming, and then people are just absolutely brushing it. It's like if you're a Snyder cut stan. Like you obviously want Affleck, but I feel like if you're at Marvel MCU, which is the majority of people, de- definitely, then Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton's like a beloved figure in Hollywood versus Ben mm-hmm. Affleck, who is divisive himself. And like, am I wrong? I, like, you, it's once, but once again, you're bringing in this new character and you talk about the idea and like, what are your criticisms? And it was also partly of mine, but like, what are your sharp criticisms of the last Spider Man movie is the reliance on nostalgia. And like, you are bringing yeah. back. Michael Keaton, when you're, it's kind of, it's going to steal the spotlight from this new up and coming 
the hero. entire spotlight. This, yeah, there, there is there is a chance that there is no Batman in the DCEU. This Leslie Grace character, Batgirl, might be the like Bat figure in the DCEU. That also has me scared. Someone that I know Marvel has gotten a lot of credit for making characters that are less known, right? Become faces of their franchises, like a Thor and then an Iron Man. But like that girl is like the fourth, like that family member. I think of when I think of like Batman characters and if, like, I, I'm scared that they're just going to make her a focal point following like they, these couple, these three or four movies that Keaton's going to be involved with. They absolutely cannot. And I'll t- there's one obvious answer. This is on HBO Max. <laughs> but it's in the DCU. Yeah, but they're not going to have the focal point of the DCU coming out on an HBO Max release only. I think they might be seeing how well it does. But you can't, like, theatrical releases are still the most profitable, similar to, like, uh, music art, like artists, musicians. The most profitable form of revenue, 85% of the revenue is still from concerts and touring. It's still the same thing, even with streaming like Spotify and everything like that. It's the same thing in movies. You still need those movie wide releases to make more money. So you wouldn't put your, your core project only on HBO max. So I'm not afraid of that, but I, I again, fan service. I think it's good to bring in more fans in the DCU similar to what MCU has done, but as a, uh, as an actual product product critically, it suffers. Yeah, this is not going to, I don't know. I just don't trust it. And the directors for this are the bad boys for life guys. I mean, I didn't, I'm like, how would these guys, I know bad boys for life was a surprise success. And like, it's not like the first two bad boy movies were anything special. Yes. Like it had some great performances and great action. It's like great early two thousands. You've never seen bad boys too. Great early two thousands content in terms of like action franchises. But what, like, how are they going to bring this dark? It's supposed to be a darker movie. It's still like a bat family movie. Right. It's going to have it says Keaton in it. It's not all of a sudden going to become this light romp like Shazam or it's like or it's going to be like even Aquaman was pretty light. It's just very light. Very light. I I don't know how these directors that they trust are going to bring this darker edge with this relatively unknown actress. And you're bringing back a 66 year old Michael Keaton. All these elements do not add up, in my opinion, for a successful movie. Hey, at least we got Brennan Frazier back. Brendan Fraser, like, yes, I am that goes excited. to your point. I am. Yes. Yes. It's like relying on the big names, though, which is good. But it's also like Brendan Fraser. Do we trust him as a major villain in a superhero movie? <laughs> I don't really think so, man. Where he like he like I'm not going to laugh when I see him on screen. Like you think I'm just going to take him seriously. There's a chance that I, like it could be goofy. It could be goofy. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, when Michael some- Keaton, it could be goofy, too. I don't, I don't know what kind of villain he's not like physically fit. He kind of looks like a, I don't know. I can't, I can't hurt our plump boy right now, but cause I'm happy he got this role, but I, I, I have a hard time envisioning what they're going for. We'll have to wait and see. I agree. It's just, it's very weird what they're doing right now. They're bringing back Batman and they're mixing in the Ben Affleck Batman's JK Simmons, commissioner Gordon with Michael Keaton's Batman. Like, I don't know what they're doing. It's like can't be a multiverse. So, like, what on earth are they possibly doing? Unless it's Flashpoint related, right? Uh, man, it could be. I don't know. In the Flash, I'm not exactly sold on the Flash either, just because of Ezra Miller. Mm. It's but just a mess, it's do- Doctor. I know we've been talking about this a while, but it's a mess, and yeah. I think that's clear. And I think we just have to wait and see. But just be thankful that we have Robert Pattinson's The Batman coming out March 4, 2022. Yeah, it's not like we're counting down the days or anything. That's gonna do it for the checkup this week. <laughs> 
Let's move on to the trailer roundup. We had a bunch of trailers. Uh, one that popped up is one we won't talk about because we actually kind of uh, broke it down in the previous episode with Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But we also had Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg starring in another trailer for Uncharted, the film releasing on February 18th in theaters. We also had a uh, new trailer for a bunch of HBO Max's movies and TV shows that are releasing in 2022, including uh, Peacemaker in January of 2022. We also have a new trailer for Death on the Nile, uh, which is a movie that has been much delayed and hidden from movie theaters that stars Army Hammer. And it also stars Gal Gadot, among other major stars. It, uh, it also We also had a trailer for Harry Potter 20th Anniversary, Return to Hogwarts. Uh, the special is releasing New Year's Day on HBO Max. And then finally, the one I think we really need to talk about, we have The Northmen. We have Alexander Skarsgård, <laughs> Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, and Willem Dafoe starring in the first trailer uh, from Robert Eggers. The film releases on April 22nd in theaters. Ricky Flex, initial thoughts on The Northman. This is huge. I can't underestimate this movie. This movie, 2022, non-comic book related, is probably the biggest movie coming out next year, similar to like a Dune of this year. Wow. Right? Wow. There's nothing well, we'll, else even close. Well, next week we're going to have our most anticipated movies draft, but this is this could be a number one pick. This is huge. And like Anya Taylor-Joy, we talked about being on a heater. She's like... This is just going to catapult herself up here. And like Robert Eggers, you think of The Witch with Anya Taylor-Joy in 2015. You think The Lighthouse, obviously, 2017, Rowan Dafoe, who also was in this one, and um, Robert Pattinson. And then now is this one. So he's Robert Eggers is focusing his writing and directing around these projects, taking his time. A 2015 film, uh, 2017, now this one. So it's definitely taking his time to make a great prod, uh, product here. And... Similar to 2015, Anya Joy, uh, up-and-coming actress, and The Witch came out. It's like, oh, she's going to be a star. 2017, kind of bringing back Robert Pattinson and making him art. He's back, back again. He's a star again. Back again. Is he going to do the same thing here with Alexander Skarsgård? He just was in succession, did a great job there, I think. Um, I think you'll agree with me there. Um, and we just talked about, actually, in the checkup. Uh, we didn't talk about it, but you referenced it. Um, Jean-Marc Vallée's death. But uh, Big Little Lies. Skarsgård is in that as well. And he was in Passing, which was Rebecca Ferguson. I think that was on Netflix, maybe? Or Rebecca Hall. It's on Netflix. Um, and that was... Nega. Right, right. And that was successful. Um, and he's just... He's waiting to come out, I feel like, Alexander Skarsgård. He's waiting to, like, jump. And I think he's done a couple blockbusters that failed or critically failed, such as a Godzilla Kong or a Legend of Tarzan. But he's just waiting for that critically success on the big screen. I think this is going to be it. And Robert Eggers is putting, he has a history of making these up and coming actors or actresses to become stars critically as well. And this is just going to be another case here. So I'm really excited. This is a huge movie. And this trailer was awesome. The trailer was phenomenal. You had Alexander Skarsgård catching a spear in midair and then wielding it and throwing it back. I wish they zoomed in a little more on that. So what I think you brought it up. The most intriguing aspect of this cast right here is definitely Sarsgaard. Everybody else is proven. Yeah. Like Anya Taylor Joy is probably the biggest star coming out of 2021, right? With Last Night in Soho, we had the Queen's Gambit, right? She is just taking the world by storm. Ethan Hawke, 
He's going to be in the, uh, he's joining the MCU in Moon Knight as the villain, but Ethan Hawke's Ethan Hawke, right? Everyone knows who he is. The critical and prestige that is a critical uh, acclaim prestige is put upon his name. Willem Dafoe is great and everything. Nicole Kidman could win an Oscar this year. Skarsgård is kind of the one here where he had a massive 2021. He really did. And that's, you talked about the legend of Tarzan a few years back. That was like his potential, like potential coming out party where if the legend of Tarzan was successful starring alongside Margot Robbie and against a villainous Christoph Waltz, that's where you thought that was successful. You could see him in a Marvel picture. You could see him in a DC picture as a hero. He was absolutely ripped. He's got movie star good looks. Right. But because of the lack of success for the legend of Tarzan, he kind of faded away over the last few years. 2021 comes, you brought up Godzilla vs. Kong. You see him as the male lead in passing, right? So you're adding that prestige to his name, right? Uh, then we have him in succession, which where I thought he was fantastic as uh, Matson, And I can't wait for him to appear, hopefully, in season, uh, season four of succession. This is an opportunity for him to kind of re-cement himself. It's like this second chance, right? Where he's surrounded by this amazing cast that has already proven themselves but can he be the lead in this movie? And uh, I think he's bringing the rage and he's bringing intensity to it. That is like uh, that it fits it molds perfectly with a Robert Eggers film. Mm-hmm. All of his films are very, very intense. There is no lightheartedness to them whatsoever. And uh, I'm just excited to see what he can bring to the table here. A revenge story. Yes. Right? Also has that Shakespearean element where it's like family is like coming over to take away the throne. Almost almost also has Lion King vibes to it when you think about it, where the uncle takes over the throne and he has to get revenge, come back and take the throne Huge for himself. Huge Lion King vibes. So it's very Shakespearean, very Shakespearean. And uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see it. This is I actually had this on my list when I made a blog last year, my most, most anticipated movies of 2021. This got pushed back in 2022. So it's going to be making an appearance on my list again, which is due out this week. Yeah, and I just hope that like I I don't hope I I like I have confidence in Eggers where he's going to put all these uh all these different storylines and also Anya Taylor Julie she's like a witch like uh, 2015 like uh, the witch he's gonna she's gonna be a, like a witch type character in this movie so it's gonna be interesting how he's gonna incorporate that to Skarsgård's rise back to hopefully getting his crown. It's it's all the makings of a box office smash hit with the throne element, the revenge story, the venge, vengefulness, the rise through his whole. You could you're gonna see when he was a kid all the way up to his avenge, uh, to getting his revenge. It's all the makings of a box office smash hit, but also you have the critically acclaimed Robert Eggers and cast to go along with it. So this has the makings of a wholly triumphant, uh, a complete film. And I like how it's coming out in April 2022. Eggers, it seems like this guy who's just interested in making a great film rather than uh, receiving all the awards for it. Uh, I know the uh, the witch didn't get any recognition, really. You had uh, you obviously had uh, The Lighthouse, where you had Defoe nominated, and you also had the cinematography, which was I it might have won. I think it should have won. But I do, I, like it's April 22nd, so it's like not interested in, like, okay, the February release. He wants to make sure this gets out to the uh, a mass a mass of audiences like uh, like where it's not limited by the pandemic hopefully by april 2022 but uh fingers crossed and this is definitely up there with my number one non-superhero related mm-hmm. movie of 2022 and this is an original story is that right like he him and uh his co-writer 
I believe so. This. I can't so guarantee it. I think that might hurt it at the box office where like a Dune, that's like one of the most like sci- sci-fi, like biggest sci-fi books and not the biggest sci-fi book of all time. Like you have all these like very different, like Game of Thrones off of books. Like you have all these like throne related or just sci-fi or mythological big movies or shows that are off of books. So it already has a fan base behind it. This one doesn't really have a fan base behind it. Edgar's only made two full feature films before this one. And his fan, like there were indie projects for the most part, or just very small movies that didn't kill at the box office. So it's going to be interesting to see in April, Oscars, like Oscars are going to be coming out. People are going to be focused on watching those movies at the Oscars. Are people going to go see this movie? They should, but I'm just saying, will it gain the attract the attraction that, we're hoping it gets or that it should get. I don't know, especially after a month after the Batman, where that might cross a billion dollars at the box office by then. We'll see. All right. You brought up something. I just had like a lightning bolt pop up in my head. I This is going to draw maybe some listeners to kind of maybe potentially either listen on in or shut off the pot. Oh, no. But could you imagine like – we, he's, he's obviously he makes his own original projects for the most part, Robert Eggers, but his dark, intense movies. Could you imagine a sequel, the sequel to the Batman where Robert Eggers is directing a form of the Batman horror elements, dark, gritty Matt Reeves probably takes his hand off the wheel, <laughs> runs the show, but we have like a envisioned Robert Eggers story of the Batman. How insane would that movie be? I think it would be insane. I we he would, he would not have even gotten the first movie. from. I Robert. know. I know. But it would be a, maybe it's somewhere way down the line. He adopts a Batman story, but, it, but he would not follow the comic books whatsoever. He would kind of like take it up, mm-hmm. take it on his own. And that would rub people the wrong way. But personally, I would be excited to see well, it. I'll say this. If Robert Eggers was to ever, it seems like obviously he's only made two full feature films before this one. So it's going out of limb here now but um if he was to make a comic like a comic book movie i think batman would be the only one that he could do really he has yeah. to make his own it has to be his work and a comic book is off of a comic book and it's off of fans and fan service so the batman's like the one where it's down to earth realistic no superpowers really so that's one where you can i could see him doing marvel definitely not too Never. attached to a franchise or literally a universe cannot do it and like Superman, no way. Like all these other movies in the DCEU, no way. That would be the one. But I don't know. I just feel like he's too artsy for that and too passionate about cinema. Yeah. Similar to what we were talking about earlier with Scorsese. So if he was to do it, definitely a Batman. But let's give Reeves a run for his money here. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not saying to like abandon Reeves or anything. Oh, never. I just, no. I, like he's still running the not show. Yet. He has a vision. But it's just like George Lucas ran all the Star Wars movies, but he didn't direct direct every star wars movie you know mm. he was still overseeing mm. it so yes. matt reeves wanted to like not direct the next one just be a producer and oversee the Re- robert eggers could be an insane like him reuniting with pattinson man that'd be cool to follow oh the joker yeah. all right won't happen though won't happen though that's enough that's enough for me um i also want to talk about death of the nile really quick before we uh close up the trailer roundup should this just go to streaming yes this shouldn't even hit theaters February release, no one's going to see it. Um, Gal Gadot, after her failure here and also failure on social media, no one wants to see her on the big screen. Red Notice, <laughs> Jesus, 
What? Am I wrong? Mean, mean. I don't, I don't, I think so. There, Gal Gadot definitely has fans out there. Wonder Woman. Yeah, I know, but she sucks. 1984 was awful. Let's just yeah. be honest. And Red Notice, she's yeah. stunk in too. Oh, man. I, if it went to streaming, I'd watch it. Like, it's Kenneth Branagh. He might win an Oscar this year, for God's sakes. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. But it's, uh, so yeah. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was funny to watch the trailer. I'm like, how much are they going to put Army Hammer in this? They showed his full face for like a second and a half. And he's like the male lead in this movie. So it's like, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it by this. No, you like, if you watch the first trailer, you're like army hammer. Like you, like he's like alongside Al Gadot. He's looking very suave. He's dressed very nice here. They show his face for a second and they put more Kenneth Branagh in it. I just, uh, it's like the, uh, it's a similar to like the Ansel Elgore situation where they like try to keep him out of it. But at the end of the day, it's Tony. (laughs) Tony and West Side Story, you can't take them out of the promotion. So they had to do that. I think they're going to do the same thing once this movie gets closer, because literally you would think that he's not even in this movie after seeing this trailer. Yeah, I just had to bring that up because I like it's it's just this movie. I think has been in production. It, well, it, it finished production. I want to say over a year ago. Yeah. They've been but, trying to like figure out the pandemic and then figure out the whole uh, cannibalism thing with Hammer. So it's like, Jesus. where do we go from here? This is just, this movie has all the sure. makings of a flop. Like, yeah. Yeah, Russell Brand is in this movie. Russell Brand. Like, glasses. what are we doing? Kenneth Branagh with that mustache coming off of an Oscar nominated film. They probably put a lot of effort in. And this one is just obviously just like some money grab here or something well, that's going on. I don't when know. This, when this film was starting to go into production, they were doing the casting and everything. I imagine Russell Brand looked at this like movie like, oh, my God, this is my chance. My, my comeback. My comeback. And then here's then he obviously coronavirus, but then here comes Army Hammer with the text that are leaked and everything. <laughs> it's just like he's like, God damn it! He's like, okay, might as well just go to my podcast or whatever, and uh, just that'll be that. Army um, Hammer has a podcast? No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Russell Brand, I believe, does. Okay, I wonder how many people <laughs> listen to that. If you listen not- to Russell Brand's podcast, let us know. I thought Russell Brand got like semi canceled a few years back too. I thought so, I thought so too, but maybe I'm just thinking of like the Katy Perry controversy or whatever. I think there was going something on going on there. Yeah, something something happened legally. Um, but that's gonna do it for the trailer roundup. We are now gonna move on to our review of Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that you don't like the looks of. <sighs> Tell me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Go. Uh, A comet between 5 to 10 kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0.04. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I'm so bored. Just tell us what it is. Seriously, stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will there will be mile high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please don't say 100%. So we just call it a potentially significant event. But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. I'm going to call it 70% and let's just let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. Let's just use like All right, Ricky Flex. It's time for one of the most anticipated movies of 2021 uh, one that has maybe the greatest cast in the history of movies that has stacks and stacks of academy awards and nominations starring the likes of leonardo dicaprio meryl streep kate blanchett jonah hill mark rylance the list goes on and on 
We're going to give you the synopsis. We'll give you the Rotten Tomato scores. We'll give you the IMDb. And then we're diving into Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. So, synopsis reads, Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. The astronomers are played by DiCaprio and someone I forgot to mention somehow, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, it currently has a 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 77% audience score and has a ranking of 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. So Ricky Flex, this movie we talked about a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the director appeal. Looks like we're getting some end of times type of comedy. Um, what were your expectations going in beyond what I have just broadly gone over this was my most anticipated movie of this year besides comic book movies oh yeah so besides more picking draft, right? so besides spider-man this was my pick this was a letdown this was a letdown dr o i saw your tweet this morning i couldn't disagree with you more wow this, this movie review. was a mess this was an absolute mess i thought a mess is not the right word i'm thinking of matrix i just finished watching that before this pod this movie was just not good. This movie was not good. Now, it's not because the acting was bad. I don't think the acting was that bad. I think Jennifer Lawrence and Leo did well. I don't think they were great. I think they were good. Um, definitely was weird to see Leo. It was definitely a different type of role for him. But I just think that this movie, which was supposed to be a satire, which it didn't, like, comedically, it didn't hit most of the time. But when it did, it, had a, it, it chuckled. I chuckled, but this satire was paired with an apocalyptic event where it had drama scenes and also Oscar can like Oscar implications when it's going to be going through the Oscar campaign, most likely. And they're going to be pitching money to that. And they tried to have these scenes with Leo and Jennifer Lawrence trying to as like their scenes for the Oscar campaign here, like with speeches and acting. And it just didn't hit. So you can't have these tonal shifts between a satire movie and then a drama that's an Oscar contender. And that's what this was. It just it was very confused in itself as in what this movie is, because it was clearly a satire and trying to promote the climate crisis. Like, why else would Leo want to do this movie? Right. But then again, like it was also trying to pull the pull you uh, dramatically as well, especially at the end, where at the end I was just pissed off because this movie was so bad. So. Um, we watch it together on Christmas Eve. And that's when I think a lot of people saw this movie or is Christmas night. It's a very much a holiday streaming movie and, uh, people can basically, it's going to be something that's going to be attacked on social media right after, uh, my expectations going in, obviously with this cast, you know, it's going to be, um, an acting toward a force. And, uh, I thought the performances were really good and we'll get to those. Uh, in terms of the backlash against the movie, I think I, I kind of want to talk about why this movie is so divisive. It's obvious. It's taking on themes of government corruption. It's talk, taking on themes of social media and uh, the detractions of capitalism and a cataclysmic event. And I think that I made a note. This movie I, was a genius idea, in my opinion. I just think it came out at the wrong time. Uh, this movie came at a time where people don't want to be reminded of how messed up our society is because there's a lot of truth in this satire where a satire, it's supposed to be hyperbole exaggeration on what 
the actual events that are happening in our world at this time. But it didn't seem that far-fetched during a lot of these moments, and I think that rubbed people the wrong way, especially when we're talking about government information they're giving to the people who are in the middle of a pandemic, right? People profiting off of a uh, disastrous event that is affecting the lives of literally billions of people. I, I think this move, I don't know if he had this in mind, McKay, that he was making this like, well, I know they shot it during the pandemic, but did he have this idea way before the pandemic even happened? But I think the timing made it more severe in terms of like the backlash. So what do you think about that in terms of the divisiveness and what you've seen about like the hate going on regarding this movie? I think you make a good point, but then like the audience scores a 77% and the IMDb, IMDb scores a 7.3 out of 10. So I, I think another aspect to think about is this was streaming. And I think that, at least for me, or at least I'm thinking this, and also for me personally, is that, hey, I didn't have to go take the time and effort out of my day to go see this in a movie theater and be disappointed by my high expectations for it and have to pay to see this movie. I could just stream it and then be okay with a few chuckles. And I was like, all right, this is fine with my time. But I think that was, uh, for me, like that was my most like, all right, maybe I shouldn't take this movie too hard. But then again, it's pulling those levers. But I do agree with what you're saying, as in for some people that might be the case. Um, but I think just by, by the audience score here on the Rotten Tomatoes, 77%, I'm shocked by that it's so high because of what you said. I'm not too shocked because a lot of times those audience scores, it's going off. I, I hate I hate when I say this because like people might take it personally or they might audiences don't like to hear this. But audiences can be dumb sometimes. And uh, they just look at the names like Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Meryl mm-hmm. Streep, and they're automatically thinking this is a masterpiece. They see a name like Adam McKay involved, and they are accepting it's going to be good before they've even seen the movie. And that's happened with so many superhero movies, especially where you see like audience scores for like like the first Venom movie hitting like eighty percent, and you see like a critic score thirty percent. So it's like the people, yes, they might have enjoyed watching it, um, but was it a good movie? But this time. It seemed like people just didn't enjoy it. I, I, I think it's also because it's streaming that we're getting all these Twitter reactions, Instagram reactions, social media reactions to this movie. But what I'm seeing, it's mostly negative. And then you have one out of every, like two out of every, t- three out of every 10 that's basically saying, oh, this is a masterpiece. Um, I think the idea, as I said before, why people are calling this a masterpiece, it's because this, is, this does what art is supposed to do, right? Like, art is supposed to like reflect how society, like how we look at society ourselves and everything like that. And it really, it's dark in a sense that people are selfish. People look out for themselves for the most part. And then it tests people like who would react in what way, what institution would, would react in a certain way of a cataclysmic event. And it just scared the crap out of people. It just scared the crap yeah. out of people because I could see People saying, especially with the political divide going on, which also plays the theme in this movie, like people would react in a way that is not welcoming whatsoever. Because they're like, are they like McKay is like grouping, if I'm watching it as an outsider, right? He's grouping me into this category. He's grouping this person into another category, like assuming how we would act. And people are seeing themselves, if you are, for example, they make a lot of connections with Meryl Streep's character as the president to the Trump administration. 
Like if you're a Republican and you watch this movie, you're all of a sudden like, this is trash. This is terrible because are, they are making like direct connections to yeah. our lives and society. Do you know, you know what I mean? So I think, just, I think both sides, I honestly think both sides, like there's a lot of political awareness on both sides that, but obviously the Trump administration specifically, but also I just want to say, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Dr. O, if you've changed your mind, but during it, you said something, I'm not going to quote you, but paraphrase a little bit saying mm-hmm. that, this is kind of how like the public would kind of react to it as in not believe it. Right. Yeah. The com- well, coming. Well, and I fake news. Right. Right. So I think I kind of agree with you there. And, but you also said during this review or uh, during your monologue there that, that uh, uh, you were just saying that uh, like this, like movies are supposed to like, show you how the like society is that's basically what you're saying correct yeah so i think the problem with me is that this movie is supposed to bring awareness to climate change and to take action right but i think this movie doesn't like this movie just points out the obvious and doesn't fully commit to the satire or to the drama like i mentioned at the beginning because this is a apocalyptic event which i think holds it back to be honest mm-hmm. the stakes are way too high and if, spoiler alert, fast forward to 15s, it's fulfilled and it hurts it in my in my own sense. So I think that people that just fast forward, you're back. The message is just so obvious that I think it just gets lost behind the lack of the laughs and the serious consequences that you're unsure about with the tone of this movie. And I think that the big cast where I think the casting was actually pretty well done. I think Leo's the only one where it's just like. I think he was good. It's just it's just very odd to see Leo in a non-alpha, non-sexy role, right? And they and they even make a joke the entire movie that they almost bang you over the head saying he's a sexy scientist. But uh, I think that yeah, that really I held it like back. That. Yeah, and they bang you over the head with it. So I don't think it was the casting. I don't think it was necessarily. I, I think it was just the 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 actual storyline choices, the actual plot of the movie that holds it back from and the tone shifts that really really hurt it for me so yeah let's talk about the tone let's uh, let's hone in on the tone a little bit here because this first time i watched it i'm like damn like this is kind of all over the place for a satire i expect i'm gonna go all in on the comedy but the last third act of this movie there are minimal laughs it's actually pretty heartbreaking because it's kind of as i said before it's reflecting on how society is it's like the movie kind of recognizes too like we're messed up like like if this ever happened would we be able to come together and actually find a resolution to such a disastrous event. And uh, and it's kind of depressing that I can't see us actually coming together because we live in such a divided society. Uh, but I do want to say, re-watching this a second time, there were a few jokes that like I was rolling on the floor laughing because I must, I must have missed somehow the first time I watched it. And a lot of them is in the first and second acts, and that's with Jonah Hill interacting with J-Law and the grit and the best dynamic of the movie it's hands down. And I thought Jonah Hill was going to be a little bit cringy in this movie. People might argue that he was cringy. I thought most of his lines actually hit. Um, and there's also a lot of jokes regarding like, I, I won't give away like many of the jokes, but when like revealing, like they make, we talked about connections to the Trump administration where uh, <laughs> I, I had to write, I had to quote it in my, in my notes here, but I said, uh, 
there's someone within the office who has to take the fall after they notice there's corruption in government. And it's someone that hasn't been involved with the movie whatsoever. It's just like this assistant that's alongside the president. And then uh, after the, uh, it basically said, uh, a person has to take the blame for hiding this information. They say, I'll resign in disgrace first thing tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> the like, anesthesi- anesthesiologist that's running NASA. Yeah, it's just, I will resign in disgrace right. first thing tomorrow. And they're like, thank you very much. You're doing a service to your country. It's like, it's yeah. just clear shots at Trump. But uh, there's also lines from Jonah Hill where like they're about to do the uh, the rocket shot to the moon, right? And they're going to like, they're going to go, not to the moon. They're going to go attack the comet, end it or whatever. And something very funny ensues right after. But right before they go, Jonah Hill drops the line. Uh, my Molly's starting to kick in right now. Time's my shit perfect. <laughs> just, it was like the funniest line of the movie that they snuck in there. And the comedic elements were there for a lot of the time. I thought Leo was great. Um, working with J-Law, because I think they were such polar opposites of characters. One's so brash, another one is so like timid and then anxious mm-hmm. the entire mm-hmm. time. I thought they played off well there. The chemistry was great. Um, so I think this, the seriousness and tone was really felt in the third act, and it felt almost like you were watching a different movie in that third act. So that kind yeah. of, that's, well, I think that's the way I could just uh, summarize it. No, I think you summed up perfectly. And just quick notes. I think Jonah Hill, funniest I think funny sequences in this movie is with him and Jennifer Lawrence. He was very good at riffing. You could tell, you could kind of like, especially with Jennifer Lawrence here, you could say, Oh, that's Donnie Azoff being a jackass. Like that's just him, like him and John Bernthal and Wolf of wall street. Like that's what he was kind of doing to Jennifer Lawrence. Like I am better than you. And here's my uh-huh. reason to prove it. And then good I think connection there. It, it was just like Adam and Kay was just like, Oh, just go riff. And just, this is who your character is. And you're going to be a jerk to, Jennifer Lawrence, have fun. <laughs> so we brought up a couple of the characters here. Um, let's have some fun talking about the performances. Uh, so obviously I want to talk about, you, you brought up Leo. I thought this, I like this role for him because this is like a passionate project for him because relating to climate change, how we, there needs to be immediate action, how there's not being any immediate action taken by our government leaders. I thought Leo was going for more of a role that is less leading man sexy but more of like this is important to him this project means a lot to him and he doesn't care if it's on streaming or it's in theaters as long as he gets i think first streaming movie so i think this is big that he put it on stream because it gets the message across to more people and i think that's like a strategy why he took the movie but i did not like the fact that mckay kept referring to him in the script as this the sexy scientist like that is not what leo should be in this movie like he the whole point is like to draw attention away from himself, I guess, right? And to more on the, the problem at hand. And they didn't dress Great him point. up like a sexy scientist. They didn't dress him up like a sexy scientist. They were just like, oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. We have to mention how good looking this guy is. I'm like, you really don't have to. He, he's an actor. He can pretend, we can pretend he's not that sexy person. But then if you want to have like the person going like play devil's advocate, they're like, oh, this is what society would do to a scientist who has the looks of a Leonardo DiCaprio. So in my opinion, that was a mistake. Yeah, It's not like it's Ryan Reynolds on the screen. and You have to address it. Like you don't have. Right. He's he literally looks like he's a bit overweight. He doesn't do his beard like his hair looks like he has a normal family. he just looks regular. Like he just looks like a normal guy. So just like what do you think of Leo in this movie and how they uh, handled him? Honestly, I think you're just hitting the head, uh, head on the nail here. Like, I, I think it's the same thing. It was head of the nail. <laughs> yeah, the hammer to whatever he's now. Nailed that. Yeah, thank you. No, I 
I don't think anybody deserves any Oscar noms. That's I think you said everything I wanted to say. So I'll just pivot it to that. I don't think anybody deserves anything. Wow. And uh, I don't think this movie deserves a single Oscar nom in any category and anything. Um, but I know we're just talking about the acting, so I'll keep it there. But um, yeah, I, that's all I'll go with. I think there's a lot better performances of the year and a lot better movies. But just go on, stand on the Leo topic. Not, mm-hmm. not even close to the top five, even though I love Leo and he's still my goat. Oh, yeah, definitely not. I will, We'll get to the draft and see if he makes the crack the top ten for us in our Leo draft. But mm-hmm. I think also you could tell this movie meant a lot to Leo because his, like, quote-unquote Oscar moment, because I do think it's going to get nominated because his name's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. And I don't think the like, cast he, is too big for it. Not and to I think be he nominated. was good. I think he was good in this movie, but it's the moment at the end where he's making his grand speech at the end where it felt a little bit meta mm. it felt a little bit meta because Leo, when he's like doing press tours, when he's on social media, he's always talking about climate change. It's the only thing he really cares about outside of acting. And well, at least that's the way he portrays himself in public. So it felt a little bit meta for him to like express himself right through that final speech screaming at the audience saying we need to take care of this now right if we don't do so now like he's criticizing the government what they are unable to achieve or what they're unwilling to put um their efforts into and he is just going balls to the wall i felt like that's actually leo who has been suppressed this entire movie letting out his frustrations with how climate change has been handled did you have that cross your mind at all it did cross my mind and it was it was something that wasn't in the script that he added and he told Ooh, Adam McKay that point. he wanted to do. So I definitely agree with you. But to bring it back critically to this movie, I think it wasn't built up great as in leading up to that point. I thought it was poor by Adam McKay leading up. And you could tell that that part wasn't written into the script. I think you could tell. And it was clearly a moment where not only uh, Leo, as in the actual Leonardo DiCaprio, not the actual, not the character, but the outside world here, real world, letting out his frustration out on the screen. But it was also just, we already saw that earlier in the movie with Jennifer Lawrence. So it didn't have the same effect. And the pre-scene, like I said, it wasn't built up well to to that point either. And you could tell it wasn't in the script, in the original script either. So I think that hurt it, critically speaking, for the movie. Mm. But I do agree with you uh, on an outside lens looking in. It was just better for Leo individually than as the film as a whole. Yes. And I, I need to say, the way they portrayed... Dr. Randall Mindy, so Leo's character in this movie, I think it's an indirect shot at Anthony Fauci. Really? I didn't even think of that. I think this is what you have this scientist and uh, who is telling us how we need to act during a situation and the way he is perceived by social media, how he's looked at as a hero in a lot of ways, but then also he is almost distracted by all these like uh, factors around him and it seems like i don't know if this is intentional or not but i think this goes to why people don't like this movie because they they just make the, it's too real it feels like anthony fauci and like and not that he's like this good-looking scientist i'm saying the fact that like sexy <laughs> fauci yeah yeah I mean, you're not you're not dicaprio bro you're not dicaprio but it's just like how people embrace him more as a celebrity than as an actual scientist. It's, it is it's, crazy. It's, it's just like what I thought of the entire time when they, they were like Dr. Randall Minnie with a commercial. It's like, listen to Anthony Fauci, what he has to say about the CDC guidelines and all this other stuff. I was just like, this is too real. And it, it happened, I think. Crap. There's no I didn't way. even think of that. It's just crazy. It's, it's, I, I thought that was, 
I think that's why people hated it. It's too real. It's too, for satire. Um, I hold on real all, quick, real quick. Yeah. I'll just say I didn't even think of that during the movie, but now that you said it, like you're so right. Um, as in people thinking that might not like it because of that, because it's too real, and it's not. It doesn't the the tone and the comedic aspects to this and the references are just too broad, too broad. Obviously, some of them like with the Trump administration is very direct, but then like with that, like I didn't even think of that that during the movie, but that's clearly something that you thought of. Oh, yeah. So it's like some jokes are just way too easy. And then some of them are just so broad that it just hurts the movie. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point too. Um, I was speaking of like portrayals in the movie who it made us think about in real life. I want to talk about Mark Rylance's character. Who's basically a cross between Steve jobs, Mr. Rogers, Zuckerberg, and Zuckerberg. <laughs> it's like crazy. Uh, Elon but I, Musk. Um, I, absolutely despised this character in the movie. A lot of people are saying Rylance Lance was like the best actor in this movie. I thought he was just flat out annoying. I, I, I like that talk about people like, and like the influence that these, these capitalists have on government, how they're really pulling the strings. We want to make like connections to succession and a Logan Roy, like how they make these kind of parallels that, that, that you can look at it in the same way with Rylance's character here. Um, I just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not dismissing the fact that this does happen, where you have these people at the level of giving to the donating to these different um, administrations, therefore having wielding some type of power. I just couldn't stand him every time he was on screen, uh, and I don't. I didn't like his portrayal whatsoever, especially when you're drawing on like Mr. Rogers for like this tech, like giant that's supposed to be at the level of the Jobs or Zuckerberg. I, I didn't like that whatsoever. What do you think of Rylance here? Easily the worst part of the movie. Oh, you agree easily yes very much so very annoying the notes i have here is mark rylance is so annoying i think that what adam mckay wrote for him and i think he did exactly what he was supposed to do and i think he acted it to a t i just think that it was totally just i i just personally found it just to start like i just didn't like it i hated it every single time he was on the screen i honestly not a single good thing came from it and it's true satire. Like his character is true sat- satire yes, yes. where it's extreme exaggeration of like a tech conglomerate like today. But there has to be some type of way where I can listen to the person speak without wanting exactly. to watch TV through a wall. And just yeah. because he was annoying me, I wouldn't say that made it a great performance. You now people say that all the time. Like, oh, this isn't so that. I'm so pissed. You no, know, it's just like I don't want to listen to this person talk. Yeah, right? I don't want to watch like- you. <laughs> I don't I want to watch this movie because <laughs> of you. That can't mean that he's doing a good job. Right. And I even feel- though he's doing it to a T, like I said, or doing it the way it's supposed to be done, I don't care. Mean- then it should have written it differently. Yeah. No, I- I'm 100% on board with that. And I like Mark Rylands. I like him in Dunkirk specifically. I One of the better parts of Trial of Chicago 7, too. Better parts of Trial of Chicago 7. That's, I think, back to back episodes we brought up Mark Rylands. Um, Talking about screen time distribution, we talked about how loaded this cast is. Um, what do you think about it? Do you think we saw enough of everybody that we needed to see? So, okay, I'll kind of hit on a couple of notes I, I wanted to mention. Rob Morgan just kind of disappeared, um, but he was pretty good. Yeah. He was basically just a sidekick. That's the sounding board to Leo and Jennifer Lawrence. But he was great. I thought, I thought he was pretty good, yeah, um, acting-wise. Um, who else? Jennifer Lawrence kind of disappeared a little bit once she had her ramp, but then she came back with guess who? One of the better performances, I I would say, very easy but good, and Timothy Chalamet. I really liked him in this. The van, evangelical, whatever you say it for me. Evangelical. Thank you. Um, in this movie, kind of seeing the religious side of it a little bit. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked him. 
I thought he was very good. But again, like screen time distribution, he was just kind of thrown in there at the end with Jennifer Lawrence to get her back on screen. Kind of weird. Um, I think there's a bunch of others. But all I'll say is that the casting, like I said in the beginning, I thought the casting for everybody, for the most part, was very good. It's just that the screen time was kind of all over the place in consistency. Very inconsistent screen time balance. But the actual casting, I thought, was good. So whoever the casting director did was, uh, in, in addition to Adam McKay, I thought did very well. Right. And I would have liked to see, like, just to mention a couple other names, uh, Jonah Hill. It's basically only in the first act and then a part of the second act. He kind of disappears as well. I love seeing his I just love hearing him crack jokes. Like, it's great. It's great <laughs> for a satire. Like, you should yeah. have him in as many scenes as possible if you can. Um, Rob Morgan, you're right, disappeared. Tyler Perry, I felt like you could put anyone in that role. Um, I thought I he was he, good, though. I, I thought he was good. But he, just, I felt like I felt like he was actually like he should do that in real life. <laughs> like I feel like, I feel like oh he should be uh, like where Michael Strahan's doing like he could do that too like uh-huh. uh the what was it um Kelly and Kelly and Michael yeah Kelly and Michael I feel like oh like you could you could put you can go right next to Kelly and then he would kill it <laughs> yeah I think he would be awesome too um yeah so I'm not I, I just like I will I I don't know I just would like to see more of him I, I like Tyler Perry especially after like since Gone Girl I really they've done a turn on Tyler Perry I really enjoy his, him and his movies mm-hmm. um. I thought we got more Cape Blanchett and Chalamet than I expected. I like their name in the cast billing was a lot lower, but then like a streep DiCaprio and um, J-Law and Jonah Hill. So it's like seeing um, them with substantial screen time in a movie. It was a great thing. In my opinion, I thought Cam Cape Blanchett was awesome. It's a different light. We see her in just like we're seeing DiCaprio in a new light. We see Blanchett in a new light. And then uh, I do, I love Chalamet in the third act, but I do want to say I felt like this movie, first of all, it was way too long. It was a two, oh, nearly two and a half hour movie. They didn't need to add that. Like the whole third act wasn't really needed. The whole third act, I think to have this runtime, they wanted to build a more substantial role for Shalomar. I, yeah. I think they wanted more screen time with him and they, they know they were going to draw um, some attention with the role he was playing and his relationship with J-Law. So it's like people are going to want to see more of this. So it felt like they extended it just to have more Shalomar, which I don't blame him. But at the same time, we're having Don't Look Up being only 10 minutes shorter than Spider-Man No Way Home. That's <laughs> insane. That's insane. Um, I also want to say Chalamet's performance. I thought he was just, it was, it was basically what he was in Lady Bird. And he was just like a, a few years older. Yeah, and a little more outspoken, yeah. Yeah, I just, I felt like that was like him. Like He dropped out of college as expected after Lady Bird. And then that's who he became. <laughs> that's like how I like to think of it. <laughs> that's pretty, um, that's pretty good, right? honestly. I think they might have thought of that. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, so, Ricky Flex, how does this how does this movie impact uh, what you think of Adam McKay as a filmmaker? Uh, he's no longer someone I trust anymore. Whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it might be arrogance. I think maybe his run of obviously, like he was part of the him and uh, Judd Apatow, like the run of comedy. Like they basically were the elite, the forerunners, the front runners of maybe the greatest uh, comedy era arguably arguably mm-hmm. um at least my favorite and now where he's trying to get to the uh, critical success with the big short vice trying with this and with this cast most likely will get oscar noms just based on the names in this movie so he's trying and obviously that kind of comedic like that step brothers t- uh comedy type isn't really ac- not acceptable to that extent anymore so obviously this is the path to go 
but I just don't think he's doing a great job since the big short with these past two movies. Um, and it's tough. I think, I think it's obviously still in there, but it might just be arrogance. Maybe I'm not sure. This movie was cocky. It was, it's just like, this is a huge, like a huge event, apocalyptic event, huge cast. Like this had a lot going for it. Assumptions it was being made about government and like society. And he thought he yeah. could just roll this through and just get all the love. And you know what? That's not what I'm going to do here with my, my score. And I don't know what else you have to talk about, but my score is going to prove what that Adam McKay is no longer an A list if he ever was, but to me, he was a list uh, director. He's wow. no longer on that level. He's no longer on that level. And my score is a score where you'll never give that to a director of that status. Wow. I, I'm excited because th- it seems like we're lining up to be very uh, polarizing where it's like you're going to have a much lower score than I'm going to have, which is fine. And uh, that's why we do the reviews and that's why we talk about them. But uh, I, I, I actually like this more than Vice. I find this much more rewatchable. I actually like the I, I won't say Christian Bale is Christian Bale. So I'll watch him in pretty much anything. But um, I don't know. I, I, I still respect him. And I, I this is him. He's kind of going for it. I, I, mean, I use the word cocky, but also going for it is another call. It's just a dangerous time to release this movie. Mm. And um, yeah. So I think we already talked about awards consideration. Do you think it's going to get nominated for Best Picture just based on what it is? So the Oscars have 10 Best Pictures. Uh, like there's 10. There's not no fewer, no less. No, no, sorry. No less, no more. There's going to be 10 no matter what, even if there's only five good movies this year. And I think the Oscars being the way they are, this huge cast, I think it's going to get it as in be nominated for Best Picture, which when you see my score, you'll be like, wow. But I think it just it has nowhere near that status top 10 of the year, but it will be nominated. What do you think? I think it's getting nominated because it's Adam McKay. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Meryl Streep. <laughs> that's only the three it's, names you need like you, could you see you could see meryl streep getting nominated for best supporting no, no like no i don't think so either but if you if they did do it would you be shocked yes like 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 she was that in a substantial like a, like a, first of all i don't think she was in a substantial substantial enough amount of this movie um to warrant it and uh i think she's just pure comedy in this movie yeah and I don't, she is and I, don't, and I don't think she really like i thought she was good her. though I thought yeah, she was good. I, I thought even she though I'm was not good, I didn't like. But I don't think she's like beating the comedic elements of like Jonah Hill in this movie. Oh, I, 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 I think I even like Kate Blanchett more than I like Meryl Streep in this movie. Mm, interesting. But, uh, I don't know if I yeah. agree. Yeah, it's close. It's close. It's close. Um, but it's interesting because she's playing. She, it's just too many direct connections. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, she's playing female Trump. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, but w- without further ado, let's give you let's uh, let's hear your highly anticipated score here, Ricky Flix. This is tough because Leo is my go. 44. Mm. 44 out of 100. I couldn't put it in the 30s. I couldn't do it. It's not on that level. But to put it above 50%, I, you cannot, I cannot do that. 44, wow. that middle of, the, middle of the 40s, fair. As I said before, I think this uh, film, is, uh, as a piece of art, represents our society in a way we might not want to hear, but sometimes I think we just need to hear. So I'm giving this a 68, a 68 out of a hundred. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, I think our reviews uh, displayed our respective opinions. That's going to do it for our review of don't look up. We are now going to move on to our 
top billing draft in the best Leonardo DiCaprio roles. I can see the Statue of Liberty already. That is small, of course. Ricky Flex, we have an awesome top billing after a couple of weeks off. We have a top billing of the greatest Leonardo DiCaprio roles in honor of his role as Randall Mindy and Don't Look Up, which you just heard our awesome review. Let's get to uh, the order. So this is going to be an easy. There's no really uh, there's no rules for this draft. There's just any role that Leo has been in. He's strictly been in movies, a true leading man. And uh, that makes it easy for us to pick. No TV, no nothing. All right. I have a coin, Ricky. Yeah, no growing pains, Dr. O. No growing. Oh, forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, go. You're calling it, Flex. Yeah, yeah. Tails. Tails. Yes, first pick. Finally, Ricky Flex gets to call a coin toss, and he he has 100% success rate. You got to be happy with that, Flex. It's the curse of whoever flips the coin, Dr. O. It's the curse. I'm gonna have to flip it again next week, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm. So, Ricky Flex, you are now on the clock with the first overall pick in the Leonardo DiCaprio roles draft. Okay, so I think this is my favorite Leo role. I think it's his most complete role. That's crazy to say. And obviously, if I'm picking a Leo role, I have to pick uh, the first overall pick. I have to pick what I think is his best. And he didn't even win an Oscar for it. I'm going. Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street. Dr. O knew it. Yeah, it's if you're new to this podcast, Wolf of Wall Street, it's probably my favorite movie of all time. Scorsese, yes, it runs a little long, but with Leo doing what he's doing as Jordan Belfort, I think it's well worth all two hours and whatever, 40 minutes or whatever it is. I think it's a complete role. This was a stacked year in Best Actor uh, noms. Like you had Fastbender for Steve Jobs. You had uh, the obviously winner of Dallas Buyers Club, Matthew McConaughey. Like this, this was a stacked year. It's tough for him to win. The Oscars have something against Leo, maybe because he was the heartthrob of the 90s. I don't know. But this is, for me, his best and my favorite role. Yeah, this was my number one as well. It, like it had to be. It was what people thought. So once again, this is like, Leo, it's like a meta type of thing where you think that Leo is this playboy type of like a leading man off screen uh, where he's with the younger, beautiful women. He lives this lavish lifestyle. And then it's also him just exploding with the Jordan Belfort role in a complete Martin Scorsese like party of a movie. Um, Yes, easily was my number one, although the next two, three, four, five are really jumbled up for me so that's a great first pick yeah having the back end of the two and three is huge i think for leo but i think i'll be able to i'll be okay with the with my uh, with the fourth and fifth overall picks but then after that it'll get a little it'll go to the next tier i think just the first pick was so strong in my eyes okay great first pick ricky glad to have the draft back it's now on to my first round pick the second overall and i will be going with Billy Costigan. I'm going Billy Costigan. Leo in The Departed. This is my number two Leo role. Um, 
I think he was actually the best performer in The Departed. And that is the a cast that includes obviously Damon, Nicholson, Farmiga. Like, it, like it's just Baldwin. I don't know. You could just keep listing all the names in that cast. But I thought as the conflicted character he was, he had the toughest role to play. And he played it with such intensity. And this is coming off the aviator where he's like proves he's the leading man. Sorry to tease a pick, but this was where it's like, okay, he's as good as advertised in my opinion. He is as good as advertised. If you are stealing the show in a Scorsese movie, his second collaboration with Martin Scorsese in 06 here um, wins uh, the, like Scorsese wins the, uh, finally wins the Oscar for best, best director. Yeah, so I'm I'm very happy to have Billy Costigan as my pick. Your thoughts, Ricky? I completely agree. This is my number two as well. I think that this was an interesting year for the Oscars, right? 07 Oscars. So like you just mentioned, Scorsese. It was, this was like, all right, this is Scorsese's Oscars, right? So this wasn't going to be the one where Leo's going to take the cake, probably. This is going to be sent around the departed best picture, departed best director. But then when you get to best actors in this Oscars, you're thinking... Well, Billy Costigan in the best movie of the year, in the movie that Scorsese, he's going to get nominated, right? No, because Dr. Rowe, he was already getting nominated for Blood Diamond. Oh, my God. And I don't want to tease a pick um, because obviously I like Blood Diamond, but I'm just saying like that's why like he he got he was already going to get nominated for that. So the Oscars being the Oscars before like ScarJo, obviously, a couple of years ago, she was nominated for two things. And 07, they still weren't really going to do that. So I don't, it just stinks that you see Mark Wahlberg getting a nom here, but not the best performer in The Departed and Billy Kosick and Leo DiCaprio getting shown recognition by the Academy. Yeah, I, I don't mean to dismiss Mark Wahlberg's performance there when I didn't list him, but I do think Leo was better. It's just you Easily. had Wahlberg, Wahlberg had the scene stealing roles limited time in the movie when he does he also explodes on the screen he's so bombastic and he's so um he he's so, like and he has such an impact at the end of the movie too where it makes you have that that, that oh crap moment um but we this is leo's movie i thought it was his movie. easily yeah um easily now on to the second round here and this is where i'm super conflicted super conflicted the next three four for me one, two, I thought, I was like, okay, I got that. Three and four, it's tough. Because there's one I think the public expects that I also enjoy, but there's another role I love. You know what? I'm going to go. Wow. I'm going to go Rick Dalton. I'm going to go Rick Dalton. That um, I, I, Ricky, this opens the door. Ricky Flux, I know, loves the performance he's going to take next or the one after. But I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much. This is one of my favorite Tarantino. And this is my favorite Tarantino and um, DiCaprio collaboration. I think there's a lot of like Oscar moments, quote unquote, in this movie, whether it's him in the trailer going nuts, throwing the drinks, saying he's going to quit drinking. There could be the scenes where he is doing the Western inside of a comedy that is once upon a time in Hollywood. I just, my, my jaw drops during those scenes. Um, and seeing him alongside Brad Pitt and those two playing off one another, one of the best like duos in the history of cinema in a movie, I would say I'm going to go more with my heart here. Rick Dalton once upon a time in Hollywood. This is, uh, hmm. besides Wolf, 
I think this is my favorite Leo movie besides Wolf of Wall Street. Um, the Departed, actually. Oof. Those for, are the first three we picked are great. Rick Dalton, though, as performance, Leo performance wise, is my number five. Okay. So this was my three. And then I, you're about to pick my number four. I'm trying to think what I have. I have five, maybe something different from you, but we're going to find out after this, after yeah, your I, next two picks here. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll just, I'll go with my second pick. But uh, Dr. O, you had my curiosity, but now you have yep. my attention. This is probably, this is one of the biggest Oscar snubs I can, in recent memory. Uh, obviously, this was Calvin Candy's Django Unchained. I love this performance and the limited screen time he had. Yes, Christoph Waltz won the Best Supporting Actor. Christoph Waltz and Tarantino have this chemistry that you just, you rarely find. But I think Leo's performance as Calvin Candy is just so iconic and has the moments, similar to what Mark Wahlberg we were just talking about in The Departed, but the acting prowess of a Leo is just so much better that he deserves an Oscar. And obviously um, Christoph Waltz was great in this movie, but I feel that Kevin Kennedy was even better. And I think that only time, I think time is helping his case here. And I think 10 years ago, or like when this movie came out, I would have other, or not 10 years ago, but like five years ago, even I would have other Leo roles ahead of it. But I think just as time goes on and as I see Django more and more, it's like the only scenes I want to watch from Django, or the scenes I have to watch are with that Calvin Candy. Yeah, I agree with that. That was the one I was so conflicted on taking, but I think I went with the movie I like even more. And I somehow I do like Once Upon a Time more than Django. Um, I, it, Same for the record. So when I take Rick Dalton over him, like it's also because like when I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's one of the few times I wasn't like pointing at the screen a la Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I'm like, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought he was like totally rick dalton in that movie calvin candy like yes like it's him first of all taking a back seat in a movie but at the, at the same time not really taking a back seat because he knows he's stealing every scene um i think he didn't get nominated because leo in every other movie he's been in is the leading man for the most i would say in almost every other movie he's in or at least at that point so it's I know the Academy a lot of times doesn't nominate those huge names to just give the Oscar, I should say, or the win to those huge names that are in supporting roles because they expect they they're going to get their recognition as leading actors. Right. So I think that's, that's kind of why he got stopped. He obviously deserved it. And then he went obviously balls to the wall with this performance and you could tell he was having fun with it. Um, he cuts his hand and he's like, obviously, Rolling through with a Ricky smearing his face. <laughs> Watch just, the YouTube. <laughs> Ricky cuts his hand open, real blood, and then Janamona just. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> when he rubs it on her face, and you rewind. <laughs> yeah, it Tarantino is just like in the corner, just He's like, oh my god, this is the best scene ever. Just holding his toes, like scrunching them. As <laughs> oh, do this, doctor. Uh, doctor. <laughs> no, that's a great pick, Ricky. He's Calvin Candy. Like I, like that was tough for me to leave off the board. You have a strong one too with Belfort and Candy. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. time to your third. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and I think for most people, my third is not near their top fives. But for me, I think that this is my number four. And I think this is the first time when Leo said, you know what? 
I am this good. I don't need, I don't need um, a Daniel Day Lewis next to me, a Tom Hanks next to me. I can own a movie and also kind of do what Daniel Day Lewis does with the method acting. And it's going to be with Howard Hughes and the aviator and Howard Hughes, OCD, the chronic pain from the plane crash uh, that he almost died in uh, him becoming deaf. This was like an Oscar bait movie with Scorsese. And I think this movie is fantastic. You have the scenes when Leo's naked in a room, not eating anything and just peeing in bottles. He's going all out for this role uh, physically and mentally. And he really went for the Oscar. Obviously, Ray, Jamie Foxx, you can't really beat that. But (laughs) but I think that this is like the first time when you really see Leo just really say, you know what? I'm taking this movie. I'm going to take a movie and just run away with it. And it's going to be an Oscar contender. And I think Scorsese helped him out because the year before or two years before you had catch me if you can uh, Steven Spielberg, but he had Tom Hanks next to him. He had gangs in New York. Uh, also Scorsese 2002, but that's what Daniel Day Lewis and he steals the show there. And then before that, he was just like the heartthrob of the nineties. You had Titanic, Romeo and Juliet, Total Eclipse, The Quick and the Dead, Basketball Diaries. So you just had the heartthrob Leo, but he's finally making his transition to being the full A-list actor. Doesn't need a Tom Hanks or Daniel Day Lewis by his side. So my pick's going to be Howard Hughes in The Aviator. There's this lady. There was this lady who came up to my door trying to sell me some solar stuff. And I'm like, dude, I got to go. And she's like, no, I just talked to my boss. I'm like, no, I got to go. And she wouldn't leave. And I'm just like, I'm closing the door. <laughs> like this really weird, weird, weird situation. Okay. That's why I, I had, so I was just bambling on about Howard Hughes and how I love Leo. But I honestly was like, all right, this is getting actually like a little long time here classic doorbell in the middle of the pod but he actually answers it okay five minutes go by six minutes seven minutes i was just on the phone thinking all right i'll give him a call but if he's not giving him if you're not gonna pick up the call another 10 minutes goes by i might be calling a neighbor saying all right neighbor neighbor, can you just run over to my brother's house here and see if dr rose here you thought i got abducted in plain sight I I was like, all right, if no one answers, then I'm driving over. This would have been like police footage. <laughs> police yeah. Footage for someone to look back on where was where was Dr. O at <laughs> noon? <laughs> like, oh, he was on the podcast oh. and he disappeared at this moment. We have the timestamp. Yeah, but you're back. So fantastic. All right. I just did Howard Hughes. Your yep. third pick here. <laughs> Great. That, that was funny. Uh, so going on to my third rounder here. I'm shocked by your Howard Hughes pick. I actually have that at number seven on my list. Yeah, see, people, number people seven. hate on that. I don't know. I don't think Leo had come into his own yet. I think he almost went a little bit too balls to the wall with that performance. At you times. could say that. He was but, naked, uh, peeing in bottles. You could say that. Yeah, he, it was. He the was way going of the future. For it. But the that was the, the one that kind of that role like really cemented him though, alongside The Departed as his next one. Like where it's like, wow, he's like the real deal. That's yeah. so. And I made a mistake. Uh, I, I said the departer was his second collaboration. That was his third collaboration with Scorsese. Yeah, because Aviator, Gangs of New, New York. York. Not in that order. And uh, so my next pick here, I am going to go. Wow. I'm gonna go Teddy Daniels, Shutter Island. I'm gonna go Teddy Daniels, Shutter Island. This is an in-depth role. 
Uh, one that has a little sophistication to it compared to some other Leo roles. Uh, it has a psychological thriller element, something I don't think we've seen much from Leo. And uh, almost in a horror-esque movie, and speaking of Scorsese, here comes Shutter Island. Um, I guess critically not up there with his best, I would say, but it's still, I mean, I think it's aged better as the years have gone on. And uh, the big reveal at the end, uh, the amount of like the heartbreak in his story, and it gets better uh, and more rewatchable the more times you see it and you're looking for those details and how you see like his relationship, his true relationship with Mark Ruffalo's character and uh, his relationship with Ben Kingsley character. I just, uh, I, I had this as my number five, five Leo role. Wow. I, uh, I'm on the opposite spectrum of you. Uh, wow i, I like disagreement episode but um yeah no i i think uh when you're doing a leo draft it's not just like the actual role it's like the importance of the role too i think there's a lot more important roles that he's done that i would take over shutter island and teddy daniels but i wow. do like i do like the pick but uh you could have gotten it a lot later similar to me i could have gotten howard hughes later all right i'm gonna go up with uh, more uh more, uh honestly probably is best known performance. I'm going to go Jack Dawson, Titanic, Jack Dawson, Titanic, the one that he splashed onto the scene alongside Kate Winslet. Uh, they eventually re uh, reunite for a movie. I will not name to save uh, potential draft picks, but uh, Jack Dawson, this is where he, this is like heart, the peak Leo heartthrob stage. Uh, and, and honestly, it was what one of the highest grossing movies of all time uh, and showed his box office appeal. And then how uh, he was, someone that was going to be someone you need to look out for. And someone that was going to be a mass, uh, a monster in the tabloids for the years to come. So Jack Dawson, Titanic. Like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is when I was like, all right, 97 heartthrob Leo just did basketball diaries. Like this is, this is Leo. And some girls always think of, or some people always think of Leo as the Titanic similar to some people always think Robert Pattinson as, um, as Frederick or what was he in the twilight? Was he Frederick? What was he? I don't know that I never saw those movies. Me neither. Whatever. Ed- Edward. Edward. Thank you. Wow. Frederick. Where did that come from? But uh, <laughs> can you tell that we're getting by the, at the end of the pod? But, um, uh, but Leo obviously has come full circle. That but was this the name the of the one. guy trying to abduct me. <laughs> this was the biggest. <laughs> this is the biggest blockbuster uh, t- uh, since or uh, till then. He was the star of it. This is a big one. This had to be picked. This was going to be in my, if you didn't pick it, I was going to pick it in the one of my next two. Yeah. It's like, this is if you were a true Leo fan, like this is what you remember him for initially. Titanic. Uh, I feel like the newer uh, 16, 17 year olds, they, I guess they, I don't even know if they like, they they might associate with don't look up. Like, like the type of movies that Leo makes aren't as popular with younger audiences anymore with like teenagers. When you think about the things he's made once upon a time in Hollywood, he made the Revenant prior to that. It just, and then it just doesn't seem like he has as much relevance as he used to, you know what I mean? With younger audiences. So that's what I got your fourth rounder. Yeah. Good pick. Uh, all right. So I'll actually take um, his uh, sixth nomination and actual first win for the Oscars. I'll take uh, Hugh Glass here. Uh, Hugh Glass, obviously um, Revenant. Yeah, this is obviously uh, highly controversial because out of all his Oscar noms, this could be his worst performance out of all the Oscar noms. 
But uh, I, I'll, I'll take it because, you know what? Hugh Glass, mauled by a grizzly bear, left for dead, like 1800s. Very cool scene. Uh, Leo went all out for this role. He ate like raw liver. He slept an animal carcass. He was in negative degree temperatures. He was going to die in preparation to get this Oscar. He was prepared <laughs> to die to get this Oscar for this movie. I respect he was, it. He was willing to have his family receive his Oscar after shooting it. He's like, I know I'm winning for this, but I have, right. to, I have to guarantee I'm going to win this. Correct. So I feel like it should be picked in a top 10 Leo draft. I'm going to pick it. Hugh Glass. I actually like The Revenant more than a lot of people. Really? A lot of people, lot of people do not like it. Slow, whatever. I think the cinematography is unreal. I love, I love Tom Hardy in that movie. Um, Will Poulter is actually pretty good in that movie as well. Um in your roots, coming off Birdman, and you try something as bold as The Revenant. You hear about the extreme shooting conditions that you just discussed. Um, I actually enjoy it. It's not as rewatchable, but like when it's on, I'll watch a few scenes for sure. Yeah. Your, so uh, your fifth rounder, Ricky Flex. Okay, so you picked Teddy Daniels, which saved me because I thought you were going to go a different route. Uh, so I don't have to try to persuade you in a couple other Leo direction so i'll just go what i consider the second best steven spielberg movie of all time catch me if you can frank affleck now jr god i love this movie and god i love leo this is like the one this is like uh if you had to go on a leo arc it wasn't titanic for me it wasn't the beach it wasn't man in the iron mask it was catch me and it wasn't even gangs in new york really for me what got me with leo was catch me if you can in hotel this movie, I thought he was great. He played a teenager in this. Like he was going, like going back to his roots, 90s heartthrob Leo. But he pulled it off and pulled it off tremendously. And he did it next to Tom Hanks. But at the end of the day, this is his movie. Whereas Dana Day Lewis, I feel like stole the show more in Gangs of New York than uh uh than uh Leo. I feel like Tom Hanks couldn't steal the show enough from Leo in this one. So that's why it's gonna be my last pick here. And I just love this movie. I can't have this not be drafted. I love Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, I like how he went up with Tom Hanks. And you could say arguably outperformed Tom Hanks in that movie. That, that's a huge deal. And with Christopher Walken, it's like powerhouse supporting actor performance right. there. Um, yeah, no, I like that pick. I know you love that movie. Uh, that is like, based on when we were born, that was like, oh, two. That's when we first started to really hear about Leo. Like, mm-hmm. and then obviously against Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, like, mid nineties, early two thousands dominates. So it's a, uh, that's where he got the recognition showed he can go again. He can star alongside these Titans. Great pick. <laughs> these Titans. Love that. Yeah. That's what they are. Um, on to my fifth rounder, Mr. Irrelevant. I got to admit, I've never seen Gilbert grape, so I cannot pick Gilbert grape. The one Leo movie I have not seen. Dom Cobb, Inception. Dom Cobb. Uh, not, this is the 10th pick for a reason. Uh, the movie's unreal. It's a better movie than it is a performance with Leo, which isn't always the case. A lot of times it's not the case. But this was an absolute blockbuster. His biggest blockbuster since Titanic, uh, you could say. Uh, teaming up Definitely with was. Nolan. Teaming up with Nolan. Uh, it's obviously a huge deal. Uh, it's a great ensemble cast. And you could say like the ensemble was just on par with Leo, but I think his performance certainly doesn't hurt the movie. Certainly doesn't hurt it. Um, definitely has an interesting 
story with, uh, for his own character in Inception to go alongside the spectacles that are in of that movie, the effects and uh, the accomplishments visually. So I, I like, I'm, I'm going to go with Dom Cobb. I don't love it as my Mr. Irrelevant, but that's what I'm going to take. Any thoughts, Flicks? Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I think the movie itself is bigger than Leo. Yeah. So that's why I wouldn't have picked it. Um, but I think that he was great in it. So I'm not going to bash the pick at all. Like, it's hard to bet. You can't bash any of these picks. I'm saying like just compared to other Leo roles, I guess. But um, no, I love this movie. I love the pick. I love the I love Don Cobb. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's just go through these picks here and let's uh, go over these honorable mentions that we left off. So Ricky Flicks has Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street. He has Calvin Candy in Django Unchained. He has Howard Hughes in The Aviator. Hugh Glass in The Revenant, and Frank Abagnale Jr. in Catch Me If You Can. Dr. O has Billy Costigan in The Departed, Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Teddy Daniels in Shutter Island, Jack Dawson in Titanic, and then Dom Cobb in Inception. Ricky Flicks, what are you most conflicted about leaving off the list here? Yeah, so if I was in your shoes, do you know what I would have gone over Cobb? I would have gone Romeo. Wow. Yeah, I would have done it. I think that's a big, like, that's huge that Leo got that role, I think. I think that's massive. The Boz Lerman movie? Yeah, I think that's Shakespeare, uh, the Montagues and the Capulets, modern day. Like, they finally did a modern day Romeo and Juliet. Like L.A. Uh, yeah, Verona Beach. Like, I, I think that's huge for Leo. And I really, like... I, I, I just think that was big for him. And I think that was like one where, yes, Romeo and Juliet is such, is like, that's what every single romance goes off of, right? But I think that he was, he ended up like, yeah, this is Leo. Like, this is him. And I know that it was an odd time for him. Like, definitely, like, definitely odd time because it was right before the Titanic. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of, and it was right after Basketball Diaries. So still obviously heartthrob Leo. But I just feel that, like, if you're going to take on a Romeo and Juliet and you're going to, like, I think that's just, that says something about you. And he did it. I think he did it very well. That's an interesting pick. Uh, that one really didn't cross my mind. Uh, but that's like, actually, I, I said Titanic, like, peak heartthrob. You could argue Romeo and Juliet was like peak heartthrob for Leo. Oh, yeah. Like, opposite Claire Danes there. Um, other ones here, No Gangs in New York Love, that was Amsterdam Valen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Leo was that good in that movie. And Again. I think he's, he's completely overshadowed by Daniel Day-Lewis. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Sorry if I interrupted you there. No, no. Um, you, you said it. But Gilbert Grape, you weren't going to take it? You've seen that movie, right? No, I wasn't going to take it. I uh, I think uh, older Leo. I, I like older Leo. I'm going to take. I'm gonna stay on that path. Uh, maybe next time we do this, I'm sure we'll do this again. He has a couple bangers coming up. Uh, Kills the Flower Moon. He's playing Theodore Roosevelt. That we just keep actually? forgetting of. I think so, right? He's, I think he's playing Theodore Roosevelt in a movie, and what? I think uh, uh, and don't and don't look up. He looks like a Theodore Roosevelt in the haircut and glasses. <laughs> so I'm looking Modern forward day. to that. I think it's called Roosevelt. So it I might just be a rumor. Research. That might just be a rumor. It's got to be but a rumor. I, I would definitely know if Leo's playing. Maybe, maybe I don't. But I'm looking forward to that. So I think after a couple more Leo movies couple more bangers like we'll have to do a redraft because i think those have potential to take over uh some of these spots did uh so i know you didn't like um don't look up but i i i mixed in uh 
Uh, Randall Mindy is a potential Mr. Irrelevant here, but movie's too new. See how it lasts the tests of time. This one's we can kind of marinate and like we can look at like roles like Blood Diamond, which he was nominated for. Look back on and say, was it really one of his best? Was it really one of his best? I personally did not think it was. I like Leo with an accent, but not enough to put him in the top 10 for his role. Not that accent. Um, That's all I got. I'll say this as well. Um, just to go over some other, like Jay Edgar, I mentioned in the Oscar bait draft, that was my first pick. Obviously, wasn't going to get picked here, but that just seems like one, if you're just looking at it, Leo, Jay Edgar, that should just work, right? And it didn't. And I think it's mainly because of Clint Eastwood's end and the actual movie of it, not his fault. Um, I never would be picked here. Probably shouldn't have even mentioned it. But Leo, but Leo has those type of movies on his resume where it should work out, but it doesn't. Revolutionary Road is another one, right? Uh, yeah. Kate, next to Kate Winslet. Well, that's another one we should have. Yeah, that's the one we got to bring up too. Next to Kate Winslet, the reuniting uh, Titanic. And that just never worked out. The ending. Sam Mendes. Crazy. Um, Sam Mendes. Thank you. Um, another one. The Great Gatsby. You just think that Leo, Jay Gatsby. Gatsby. It should work. Right. Robert Redford, the great Robert Redford was the last time that was on the big screen. Just didn't work. So I think there's a lot of those on Leo's resume, but I don't think that's necessarily his fault. But it always looks great on paper. Right. So it looks great on paper. It looks like, oh, it should that should be like a top 10 Leo role. But the movie itself just falls. So you can't even have it in consideration. He's got a couple misses for sure. Uh, But at the same time, when you look at the 10 we drafted, like he doesn't like the ones that he does hit, they hit so hard. And his so his, accu- his accuracy level is it's, it's high. Like, like he's successful most of the time. It's success rate, I should say. So it kind of outrules like those Jay Edgars, right? And those uh great Gatsby's and things like that. But like I, I what could have been with like him as Gatsby, that still like haunts me. I'm like that like that should have lined up so well. It should have been a, a slam dunk. The fact that we mentioned Lana Del Rey in that movie before Leo in that movie is crazy. Jesus. Like the music. We were mentioning we mentioned the music about the great Gatsby before Leonardo DiCaprio. That's that shouldn't be happening. Shake my head. No, I hate that. Um that's gonna do it for our draft of Leo Roy. Fun episode. Fun episode. And that's Leo, gonna do baby. it for episode 69 of the drive in podcast. Um yeah, make sure Dr. Rowe is here. Did not get abducted. I did not get abducted. Thank you for clarifying, Ricky Flex. Also, reminder, Matrix review coming this week. Separate podcast. Separate podcast. It will also be on the YouTube. A lot to discuss with Matrix 4. We had to devote this episode to Leo. Make sure you stay tuned. Subscribe to the pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube for all content coming out. A couple videos a week. Along with that, make sure you're subscribed to the blog. Right, where we are putting out first off, we got the most 10 most anticipated movies of 2021 coming to you 2022, excuse me, coming to you this week. Make sure you're following us on social media for some funny, funny content on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok. We have to get more on board with the TikTok. Maybe, and happy maybe. birthday, Timothy Chalamet. December happy 27th. birthday to our golden boy, Timothy Chalamet. Dude, part gonna, two. That's going to do it for episode 69. Until next time. We will smell ya.